RiskWatch is a due diligence and compliance podcast featuring interviews with leading compliance, investigations, and research professionals to shed light on global corruption and compliance-related issues. RiskWatch is brought to you by VCheck Global, a business-to-business provider of due diligence, background checks, employment screening, document retrieval, and specialized research of both business entities and individuals. Seth Harlan of RiskWatch here, joined by Jack Cohn, President and Chief Innovation Officer of Strong Hill Capital and past Chairman of the Commercial Real Estate Finance Council. Jack, thank you for joining RiskWatch. Seth, my pleasure. Heading into 2022, which property types have your attention? Oh, fascinating question. I would say my attention in the category of surprise is what we all would call unanchored strip shopping centers. Interestingly enough, pre-pandemic, there was a belief that strip malls were not Amazon-proof, and so everyone was trying to finance retail that was Amazon-proof. But by definition, an Amazon-proof property was absolutely killed by the pandemic, right? We were locked down, businesses went out of business. So I would have thought that strip retail would have bombed. In fact, it didn't. And the only answer I could come up with is the people who own strip malls typically are solid entrepreneurs, maybe not full-time real estate entrepreneurs, but they're solid entrepreneurs who wanted to own the local piece of real estate, knew the local marketplace, including their tenants, and these were livelihood loans, that it was important to them that the rent kept coming in and that they could have net income. We have a lot of this stuff in the portfolio I inherited at Stronghill. We've had no delinquencies. In the last, I'm going to say six months, two different sponsors, two different parts of the country have come to us saying we'd like to raise some money to go after this. So I would say surprise number one caught my attention was strip retail. I would say also not a surprise, but I think that the self-storage business is a great business. And when a whole generation moved away to be have their independence and then moved home to stay with their parents, all of a sudden, where did they put their shit? Well, in self-storage. And so I think the two, I'd say singles as opposed to doubles that I think are really great are strip retail and self-storage. Of course, everyone wants multifamily and everyone wants industrial and that's the darling, but those would be my comments. Fascinating. Uh, and just touching on due diligence for a second, when you're vetting borrowers and opportunities, is there a single reputational risk issue that would make or break a deal for you? Well, yeah. As a matter of fact, I learned early in my career, it's not location, location, location. It's borrower, borrower, borrower. I swear to you, I have seen super locations be screwed up by a bad borrower and really screwed up deals be saved by a really good guy. First and foremost is the borrower's willingness and capacity. Do they have capital? Do they have experience? Second is their plan. Do they have a real plan for the property? And then third is really your judgment that the plan matches the sponsor with their capability and capacity economically or otherwise. At Strong Hill, we have a nice pool of loans that are recourse. And so we do some global cash flow analysis. I'm not a fan of somebody who's had handled bankruptcies poorly. 
A bankruptcy is okay if we can convince ourselves that it was handled well, but the scenarios that are poorly handled that give you a question about doubt of integrity would be the key. But to me, if I can't get comfortable with the borrower, nothing else matters. And just along those lines, do you view uh, due diligence findings as deal specific? So in theory, the answer is it's deal specific is necessary, but not sufficient. So I like to consider the deal. I'd like to consider the borrower. I like to consider the market. I like to consider the deal. And I like to consider the environmental risk that either macroeconomic or local macroeconomic pressures will create an issue. Does that make sense? Yeah. One of the guys on a call last week on the team, I can't remember the acronym, but he had an acronym for four or five areas that he was focusing on, and I should be able to remember the acronym. But borrower is definitely one, but not the only thing that we're due diligencing or underwriting. And I've read that you have some pretty interesting hobbies, rock climbing, flying, Aikido. And now these are all activities that demand a really high risk tolerance. What kind of risk tolerance would you say is required for success in the lending industry? Well, it's a great question that I'm going to twist on you. I have a view that what investors do is they don't chase yield. They identify, assess, mitigate, and price risk. Identify, assess, mitigate, and price risk. If they do that, then their job is to find the point on the curve where they can get excess return on a risk-adjusted basis. So everyone thinks of a XY axis where yield is on the vertical and risk is on the horizontal, and then there's this line that goes up at 45 degrees or it's hyperbolic. Further out you go on return, the higher the risk. I don't think that's the game people play. I think the game people play is that line, which matches risk and return, no matter how low or high it is. The job is to do better than that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the corollary to that is we have a philosophy that we would take risk at the asset level, not in the structure. So example, if you say, I like Walgreens, 100% leased Walgreens. But a Walgreens is built at like a five cap, trades at a four cap, whatever it might be. How could you get yield? One way we used to get yield is we'd do 100% construction loans to the borrower and we'd go to our bank lines and borrow 99% of the capital. So my 1% investment got a huge return. That was taking huge risk in the capital structure, not in the asset. Corollary is if you and I found a shitty building in Houston that we want to convert from office to um, workforce housing, right? And it's in the wrong area, but you and I convinced ourselves that it was the right price. That's huge asset risk. It would be ridiculous to overlever that. So I don't think it's a question of what's your risk tolerance. I think it's a question of how good are you at finding excess return on a risk-adjusted basis based on your capacity to identify, assess, mitigate, price risk. How's that? That's very interesting. Just one final thing. So I've heard you say before that you're all ears. If someone shows you a better way to do something, you're on it. And just piggybacking off of that, is there any emerging CRE technology that you're really following closely? 
Oh, great question. So one of my little side gigs I have in four or five years ago, I started looking into the fintech space and started looking in the real estate space as related to it. And my observation were a couple of things. One is my generation doesn't appreciate tech. I'm making a global statement. The tech generation has no idea what they're doing as it relates to what the processes are or what the pain points are. So one of my frustrations, I'll start with the negative, one of my frustrations is there's still no comprehensive solution. You have to be really, really specific about what you're trying to solve for, and then you have to find the right technology. So from a real estate professional standpoint, I've been doing this piecemeal. So I started with front end, started to use Salesforce. Salesforce is the category king. And I liked it not just for CRM, but I could build a pipeline management program really easily. And I could control the business from Aspen as opposed to having to be in Austin. Then I had made an investment which went bad in a company called CRE Simple that had a document management platform. Um, we're now replacing it with a company called ProDeal. ProDeal is a new company, well-backed, fantastic executive team that is focused on automating the closing process, not the origination or post-closing process, but the closing process. And then I have been a big fan of Real Insight, which is owned by CW Capital and Fortress. They have a surveillance and asset management program, Real Insight, and I looked at it as a data warehouse I'm trapping all this information on all these little shitty loans that we make. Can I put it in a database so that I can cut the database easily? So that's how we have solved it as a business. Whereas Dan Baker at KeyBank, by way of example, is just made a deal with somebody to build um, a comprehensive system that'll cost as much money as the gross national product of Brazil. I didn't have that luxury. But just to flip it on the side is when I'm investing, the mistakes I've made is the game is a screwed up game. The game You talk about risk. The game is when you and I are going to build or buy a real estate project, we have a view of total project cost. And we don't start until we have all the capital for the project. These businesses and these projects, are, these tech companies, are built on the premise that they run out of money. And so this question is, do you have a coachable CEO? Is the CEO coachable in the way he can coach his team? And can they manage a diminishing runway against all the pressures of business failure in order to launch? And so finding the, I've actually done better investing with funds who gave me diversification than I did a la carte based on people that I have met but I am a sucker for a great entrepreneur and a great story. And so I don't know if that was maybe entertaining, but I don't know if that was responsive to your question. No, it was certainly entertaining. And I know you're pretty busy, so I want to let you go. But just for our listeners that want to stay up to date with what you're doing, Jack, is, is Jack Chat on Stronghill's website the best place to keep up with you? I guess the best place to keep up with me is Dark Knight Ventures. It's .net. And Jack Chat is posted there. So too are blogs that I, other blogs or other panels that I've been on or podcasts. I do try and put Jack Chat as a Stronghill product, but we're redoing our website and I hope we'll have a new one up sometime in February. And so the combination of Stronghill, Stronghill is owned by a company called Aramark, 
which is a $25 billion fixed income house in Denver. And so we are affiliated with them and part of our businesses overlap. And I share team with them. And uh, so whether it's Aramark or Dark Knight Ventures or Stronghill, I appreciate you asking. Well, thank you very much, Jack. I'm really excited to put this out and uh, appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate it.